When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Geekscapists. Welcome to a brand new Geekscape podcast. I'm Jonathan London, your host. If this is your first Geekscape, strap yourselves in for some pop culture talk. That would include movies, video games, comic books, TV, everything that's fit to print under the pop culture. Uh, I guess that would be a headline. Everything under it would be what would be fit to print. Uh, if you're maybe it's the Daily Planet, maybe it's the Daily Bugle. I don't know which comic book based newspaper you want to subscribe to, but I'm really glad that you're subscribing and listening to my voice right now and choosing to make Geekscape your pop culture podcast. Y'all have been a part of this since 2006, and I I just can't believe it. I sent out an email, I think it was yesterday, to the entire Geekscape network of 30 shows, I believe, um, including Matt Kelly, who runs it and is, um, I think he's on 17 of those 30 shows himself. Um, and I, I entered this year, 2023, and I just want to have an increased community amongst the podcasters. Clearly y'all are enjoying Geekscape as far as it goes on like Facebook, Instagram, uh, all that. Uh, I love the Geekscape forever group on, uh, Facebook. It's not the biggest, but y'all are sharing stuff and it makes my, it makes me happy. And we also have like increased activity on the Geekscape page on Facebook that has like 27,000 people on it. Uh, that stuff really warms my heart to see y'all developing relationships, friendships together. But here on the roster, on the on the podcast network, I really want the podcasters to kind of like get to know each other, meet each other. Maybe this isn't the only Geekscape show you listen to. Maybe you're a Horror Movie Night fan, or maybe you listen to Geekscape Games or Black and White or $2 Late Fee or some of the other shows that we offer. Um, y'all can do that, but I think the podcasters should be talking and joining each other up and we, we can really form the geekscape. So that's my initiative for 2023 is to get the podcast network to love each other, get to know each other and build that community. Cause at this point we are stretched from coast to coast here in the United States. I wonder if we have any international podcasters. Yeah. Derek Cranavelt in Canada. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, this is the flagship show this year, Geekscape, and we've great. We have a great show for you today. Uh, my good friends Scott and Eric, they made this comic book. It's out right now from Dark Horse, I believe. The first two issues are out. It's called White Savior, and the whole point of this comic is to make fun of that narrative trope that you see in like Last Samurai. Uh, you saw it in that first Avatar film where the white guy comes up. And he saves the indigenous people or the uh, or or the the different culture. And the white guy is going to be the hero. So you've seen that. You've seen the white savior trope in a lot of movies and uh, TV shows. And these two guys have made a comic making fun of it. So we're going to talk to Scott and Eric about that comic. And we're going to uh, it's on stands right now. And I got to tell you, it's hilarious. I'm in love with it. Um, and I think that's it. Let me think. Uh, what do we got going up in Geekscape? You're going to want to subscribe if you're not right now, because I know my friend Casper Van Dien's going to drop in. Um, he's got that going on. He has this new movie called Daughter, which is weird. Uh, they just asked me about 10 minutes before I started the show if I will host the Daughter Q&A tomorrow night, Thursday night, here in L.A. They said, hey, Jonathan, I know you got Casper Van Dien coming on your show. Would you want to host the Q&A Thursday night, and I said, I don't know. I, I'll ask. I mean, I'm at, I'm having dinner with Casper while he's in town. Casper was in our wedding. Uh, he's one of my closest friends, and he's coming to Geekscape. So subscribe. The other thing we got is, I guess they found out about me moderating the Homeward Bound panel for Disney at El Capitan. Y'all were privy to that episode promoting that. 
Um, we're going to put that on the feed. I asked y'all over Instagram if you wanted to hear the Homeward Bound panel um, on the Geekscape feed. So I'll get that up for y'all next week. I'll, I'll have to record like a intro and outro. So Geekscapists aren't just hit with a panel for a movie that they may or may not have seen. Um, and that may be your episode next week because I'm directing a music video next weekend and don't know if I'll have time to do a show. I'll make it up to you though, because I will have time to go see Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. And so you will have an Ian Kerner episode in two weeks. You're really going to want to subscribe to the feed if you haven't already. Uh, I really appreciate it when you share the show, when you tell people to subscribe, the numbers have been great. So thank you. What do you say we get to it? For those of you who are new, you don't want to just hear about Geekscape. You want to actually get a Geekscape episode. That means me talking to creators and some creators. And we got the, the creators of White Savior out now from Dark Horse Comics on the show. Let's get this thing going and let's talk comics. Awesome Geekscapists. We got ourselves a Geekscape rocking and rollicking here for you. Um, as I said in the intro, my two guests are the co-creators of this new comic book. It's out now from Dark Horse Comics. You know Dark Horse Comics. Com- Dark Horse Comics actually got me back into comic books. Uh, as I was in middle school, they put out the Dark Empire series. That was the, really the first Star Wars stories other than Timothy Zahn's um, Heir to the Empire books that we got. We were starred for Star Wars there in the late 80s, early 90s. And Dark Horse was the company with the Star Wars license. And they put out these Dark Empire books that were awesome. And I, and I hadn't been in a comic book store in a long time. Eh, maybe in a year or two. <laughs> My allowance ran out when I got to... Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get an allowance in middle school. It wasn't like go to the spinner rack and leave me alone in the grocery store and pick out some X-Men comics and maybe you'll get it. Uh, you know, So I wasn't really reading comics as I entered middle school. But I saw this Star Wars comic. It, you know, uh, this this heir to the empire type of thing. It was it was called Dark Empire. Dark Empire. I see this new Star Wars comic, and it was published by Dark Horse, and that got me into the comic store. And then from there, well, Dark Horse was responsible for me picking up the mask that got turned into the Jim Carrey book. My personal favorite, Madman by Matt Galrid. Love that. Of course, Mike Mignola's Hellboy. And more recently, you got the Umbrella Academy and all these great indie books. Well, you're going to want to add another one to your pull list. It's called White Savior. I've got the creators right here. Um, And this book is super handsome. Uh, We're going to click through it here with the guys. But um, as I told you in the intro, if you think about all those tropes of a white savior coming into either an indigenous or a cultural you know, area that they're not a member of and being like the white savior, like Tom Cruise in Last Samurai. Um, that's kind of what this book is, but it makes fun of it heavily. And I've read the first two issues. I find it to be hilarious. These guys, I got to tell you, I am super, super, super in love with their writing style and their sense of humor. So what do you say, Geekscapists? Let's, let's meet them. Here's our good buddies, Eric and Scott. Uh, they're the co-creators. Eric is the artist of White Savior, and they're here on Geekscape for you. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Eric, where are you? I'm actually in California. Where in California? Because I'm I'm here in Los Angeles. Uh, where's <laughs> where's that in California? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Los Angeles. Eric, what's I'm that? here in Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I used to be in Pasadena, but uh, since I got married and all that stuff, uh, I'm back into the capital, so around Sacramento. Oh, I love it. I love it. Cool, cool, cool. And Scott and I got to know each other a little bit. And, and Scott, uh, listen, I did some deduction geeks, gave us. He said, well, it's 7.30 here. We started this recording at 5.30. And I said, oh, you're in Austin. And he was like, whoa, you nailed it. What's up with that? Well, I'm from Austin. So I usually guess Austin <laughs> first. So <laughs> there's that. I was, um, I was trying to figure out how everywhere you guessed Austin. It was I, You could have just claimed psychic abilities and I would have been uh, heavily impressed. But yeah. 
No, I don't get any psychic abilities. I, ba I barely have brain activity. <laughs> um, so I just like, it's like a lizard impulse. I say Austin and we go from there. That's how I do my deductive lack of reasoning, I guess. Uh, so guys, tell me about, uh, y'all are both really busy. I was stressing Geekscape. As I'll tell you, before the show, I was kind of stressing. I was like, well, where are my guests? I got to test their audio and test their, their <laughs> stuff. But they've been so busy. Uh, and I and I think they're going to get more busy because this is a great book. And I, if it's going under your radar, I want you to correct it right now because it's it really deserves your attention. Um, tell me about G Eric and Scott, what the road was leading to White Savior, bringing it to Dark Horse, and then how the experience has been with Dark Horse and having this first or second issue out already. Been crazy. It's a big That's, question. It's a big question. <laughs> I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Scott go first. Uh, he he he's the best at uh, at telling the whole scheme of the whole book. I can tell you how we got here because uh, it, it it's a long story, but we'll try to make it short. It you don't have funny. to. It's a podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. Eric and I both like we 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 have developed a system where each one of us answers specific questions. So if we're making fun of a white guy. Uh, that goes on Scott. And if we're talking about diversity and representation, yeah, we probably throw that over to Eric. Um, but uh, you, Jonathan, did a great job of describing the book uh, uh, in your intro. Yes, it is a uh, spoof uh, of the White Savior movies, making fun of those specific tropes. Uh, we got our hero right here, Todd Parker, a Japanese-American teacher who time travels to feudal Japan and has to convince everybody not to follow the white savior. That right there is the perfectly rehearsed, uh, probably <laughs> over-rehearsed uh, pitch of our story. Um, it started out when, it started out about seven years ago. I emailed Eric cold emailed him. I'm, I, I take great pride in being some nobody. Uh, and I cold emailed Eric. He was drunk or on medication. I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> he read a script of mine. He really liked it. And he, and he called me a couple months later and wanted to work on something else. Uh, we started brainstorming this idea. Um, it was around the time the movie The Great Wall with uh, Matt Damon came out. And uh, we, oh, yeah, well, I mean, it came out. Nobody saw it, did they? Uh, yeah, pretty much. No, we, we we didn't actually see the movie before coming up with this idea. We just saw the preview for the movie, and uh, and we just thought, wouldn't it be funny if Matt Damon was an idiot and screwed up everything for the people he was trying to save? And so, yeah, I forgot all about that movie. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it is a white savior movie. It's Matt Damon on the Great Wall of China. Like Last Samurai style, fighting people I actually and saving. Watch it. <laughs> you watched it, Eric? I watched it. Yeah, I'm 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 a Matt Damon fan. Come on, I am know. too. But uh, you know, I, I thought it was I thought it was funny, and um, and uh, Scott Scott failed to mention that uh, it was actually Constant Wu who actually made a, a comment about it as well. Where it, yeah, we just thought it was funny. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, you know, Matt Damon coming in and just saving the whole you know saving whole China China Wall and all that stuff. You know. <laughs> <laughs> the movie, right? That those guys are doing acrobats. They're jumping off the walls with their arrows and coming back up. And you know, you got my this God, movie. it's Jason Bourne. <laughs> That's <Right>? Jason Bourne. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so you watch these movies, and you brought the idea. Correct me. Uh, I'm sorry, Scott. You brought the idea to Eric, or you just wanted to work with him? So I, I brought a different idea to Eric, and. Uh, I had another artist working on on that idea. Of course, it's seven years later, and the artist is nowhere near finished with it. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then we just we were just brainstorming a bunch of ideas. I, I threw a bunch of stuff at Eric, and we were talking about samurai and comedy and action, and and yeah, the idea just kind of popped between the two of us while we were uh, while we were just going back and forth. Hey, Eric, talk to me about the you know the need to make this comic. Talk to me about your thoughts and beliefs going in it, because usually when you tackle this kind of subject matter, uh, you know, representation, race relations, things like that, you want to do it in a sensitive manner. You're not doing that. You guys are coming in there and y'all are making a comedy and it's fun. And I think that it does do the job. I think that having read two issues, it does send several messages, but it does it in the way that 
you know, you, you, you get the medicine to go down with a little bit of sugar. Well, awesome. Uh, that's, that's actually, uh, you know, that's actually what we wanted, but the, the whole thing with the, uh, the whole representation and everything, actually, we started this again, like six years ago when we came up with, uh, with, uh, you know, poking fun at the whole white savior trope. And at the time, I, I don't think it was as prevalent as, as it is today. And so when we went into this whole thing, it, our main point was just to do a comedy book. I've been working on so many books that were just like dark noir, you know, um, ex vigilante for two 22 issues. That's like a dark Batman. Then I did uh, Starboy for the weekend. That's like a dystopia type of serious uh, book. And then Old Man Logan. And so at the time when when I came into a break, I, I wanted to do something fun again. I, I wanted to do something that was uh, lighthearted. And a lot of times uh, all the books I've been doing were kind of serious stuff. And so I kind of want to get back to if I'm if I'm going to do a creator own, I kind of wanted to get back that that uh, excitement when I first came into comics doing. Uh, I don't know if you go back that far, but I, um, I broke in with uh, Rick Remender doing Strange Girl. And uh, and that at the time, the art style, because I never did a comic book, I just did whatever. Right. Whatever style that came to mind or however it came about. That was how the book was. And, and I remember that feeling of, uh, of just um, uh, not too much thinking about a certain style or anything. It's just try to let it flow, try to let the creativity flow. And I kind of want to go back to the whole, you know, do, whatever this book is, it'll be, you know? And so I, I yeah. kind of wanted a lighthearted artwork, non-serious and, and especially comedy. The reason why I, 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 I decided on someone like Scott who cold, email me just out of the blue is because um i read he sent me the script i, I think it was uh, like um uh how i got drunk and saved the world and so it you know obviously it, it was a goofy title which i thought was kind of funny but when i read it this was one it's very rare that when i read a script i read it all the way through at once and i actually had i actually laughed when i when i was reading this this script out of nowhere and uh, and I just had a gut feeling that Scott was the perfect guy to do this kind of lighthearted comedy with me. And uh, it turned out to be right. I mean, Scott, he, he has a great um, sense of timing as far as comedy goes. Uh, I mean, he's he's kind of wacky, uh, you know, in real life. Talk about on too, looking too while you're at it, you know, while you're talking all these compliments. Mention my hair. For once, <laughs> it's funny. You know, his hair looks very nice, and he styles it well. Something like that. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, it's just one of the things that, uh, and it turned out right that that his, I mean, w w the way we worked, it it just turned out to work perfectly for this book. We would come up with beats that we wanted to say and do in the book. I would lay it out and draw what I think was was doable and fun mm -hmm. at the same time. And, and also we are, we already had some of the jokes that we kind of wanted to throw in there. But once Scott sees the artwork, we'll go back in, add the words and move the lettering around just to make sure the words, uh, the jokes hit on point. And uh, I just think it, it helped that flow. And, uh, and, and from what we've seen and read so far and, and the reviews, people actually enjoy, and they say that the reading is, is, is you know it has a nice flow to it as far as far as a comedy goes and i agree with you well i agree with them 100 percent um you have a couple different styles in the book and geekscapists who are listening to this on the podcast uh version sorry you can't see it visually but those of you on youtube twitch or facebook can see this stuff um go to your local comic store if you're only listening to this podcast and go pick it up and at least pick it up off the shelf and flip through it because what i like is that you're you actually eric show different styles based on the two there's two time periods in the in the book because he tram travels from the present and the present stuff has a bit of like a cell shaded you know almost like modern cool style whereas when i see some of the flashbacky stuff back to feudal japan um there's like a bill sinkowitz style in here oh awesome. And, you yeah. know like yeah. well thank I you i mean look at the line work and everything and that's what i thought i was like okay you what are your, some of your influences? Because watching this, I'm like, okay, as a kid, you probably flipped through Electro Assassin like a million freaking times. Bill, Bill, uh, Sink, man, his his name is so hard to do, but Sinkovich, right? Yeah, I believe Amazing. it's Sinkovich. 
art artist. I mean, his his sketch. That's the one that popped in my head was Bill Sinkovitz on some of this feudal Japan stuff. What are some of the others as you started putting this book together? And am I right that the two time periods have distinct looks? Or was that actually uh, in this book? Yeah, I mean, it turned out that um, because the first where where his grandpa was telling the story of this of the white savior, I kind of wanted to make it sketchy and 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 very uh, very frenetic, frantic. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so and so that's why the first two. Uh, pages the back the back um you know the, where it's actually grandpa who's telling the story to todd at the very beginning it's it, it's again trying to mimic his you know this is his grandpa telling him this story passed down from generations and so i kind of wanted that loose sketchy feel to gonna, it i have to stop jonathan before he gives away the final couple pages here you're making stop me sweat a little bit <laughs> yeah, they're still on the shelves people you still have to have to buy them here. Woo. I was uh... yeah, Geekscape. I was digitally flipping through the book here on the digi- on the visual version of Geekscape. Uh, but I believe this is a four issue miniseries, right? So yes. get this to the first issue. Y'all are going to have fun with it. But there's three other issues uh, as part of this, and I believe it'll be collected as a trade paperback. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but as Eric was alluding to, the the story basically is it opens and you have feudal Japan and this battle and then you come to modern day and this uh elder member of the household the grandfather is telling his son who's the film the film teacher uh the college professor is saying hey like this is what happened in this village in japan and they trusted the wrong person this white savior and he's like yeah sure sure, grandfather sure grandfather I'm, i'm off to the store now uh i'll see you later and then one thing happens to another and this uh person who's not a fighter is a college professor gets transported into the situation feudal japan and finds them kind of barreling towards this uh battle where the white savior is going to step up and he has to convince everybody like oh no i've actually heard this story i don't remember very well i wasn't really listening (laughs) to my grandfather but uh i don't think we should follow this guy he's gonna get us all murdered (laughs) as history says uh and that's fun i always like that kind of stuff the fish out of water uh geekscapists might be familiar with the project I sent y'all, the Hero of the Prophecy stuff that uh, Geekscape is you're familiar with. It, it was a Geekscape uh, production, where our little TV property where Paul London, my brother, is a pro wrestler and gets transported to an 80s fantasy planet and is, a, again, like a fish out of water. And he has to fight minotaurs and monsters and save the kingdom from an evil wizard. I love these freaking stories. It's awesome. Um, Scott, You norm, most of the stuff you do is comedy and... Correct me if I'm wrong, but this was a screenplay that you sent the drunken saving the world script. You mainly write screenplays for these kind of material for these kind of projects. Yeah, I mainly write stuff that nobody ever looks at. Uh, <laughs> That's so, screenwriting, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, yeah, it's, it's like. Uh, uh, I'm the greatest writer in the world, but nobody's read anything I've ever written. That's that's my old big joke always. Um, so yeah, doesn't mean you're not a writer. It just doesn't mean you're read. <laughs> they were still written. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I, I I write them. So for comics, it's it's all dependent on the artist that you're working with, how you want to go about writing specific things. I just wrote screenplays because for me it was just easy and I like the dialogue back and forth. And, and, and I don't like visually over explaining things like uh, I don't like saying, oh, the sun is shining and the sure. dark skies are doing this. I'm just like, this happens, this happens. And then this person says this thing, which is funny uh, or yeah. this thing, which is cool or, or anything like that. I think my screen, my very first screenwriting teacher in grad school, she used to say, you're going to tell Scorsese where you should put the camera. Yeah. Because yeah the writer's job is sort of the blueprint and you can hint at that kind of stuff but really it's people like eric who are the artists or the director the visual directors like a scorsese who should be able to interpret that stuff in a, something that as a writer we can't i mean we, we can kind of get it to the doorstep but we can't you know fill the whole house yeah that, that's a great way of putting it and, and also i'm realizing as i a lot of times so we've been doing a, a bunch of these interviews eric and i and we're trying to find different ways of saying the same exact thing and so a lot of times we take like, I'm going to take something you said earlier and I'm going to add it to my repertoire of things that I say. So, sure. uh, <laughs> so you, you mentioned, uh, and, and I think one thing about our book 
in my opinion, that makes it uh, great. Yeah, sure, whatever, great. No, go for it. <laughs> um, it's that most of the times when you hear about stories like this, like especially with the title White Savior, the people who create it come at it from the perspective of um, message first and story second. And while the message is, of course, very, very, very important for us, it kind of started out as a joke and we focused more on the story. And so the story, the jokes, the characters, those were the first things we focused on. And I think that the message comes across a lot stronger because of that. And so you had a line earlier that I'm going to paraphrase a little bit and it's a little Mary sure. Poppinsy, but you said um, something about um, it's easier to take the medicine when you've got a little bit of sugar. And yeah. I think that we pour on the sugar until you're like, wow, I had so much sugar. Hold on. There was a message there. Oh, my! now I got the message. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I hope uh, our, our book does. I think that that's I think nobody wants to be lectured. Ultimately, like nobody wants to be lectured. I, I don't want to pick something up off the. I mean, I already am incredibly insecure. I don't need to pick up a comic and be like. This guy's going to tell me how wrong or stupid I am, yeah. right? That's, I mean, I don't speak for everybody, but I think that's how a lot of people go through the day. I mean, it's life is real and life is rough. And I think if you make it long enough, you start to feel those insecurities in your, of your about yourself in the world and the shortcomings and things like that. I don't need to pick up a comic and have it like, that's not why I pick up a comic. I pick yeah, up a comic exactly. yeah. for escapism, yes. for some fun uh, and, in a, and a cool story. The fact that something is also in there that's a negative truth well i think that is inherent in any good storytelling and is the best way that's what makes things long lasting right like we we watch star wars but we explore our own spirituality and belief in faith because of the way it discusses the force you're right we watch any of this pop culture stuff for the the messages that we then can take to our everyday reality that is the mundane existence and suddenly the escapism isn't so trivial. And I think this is, I mean, it's two, two issues in. I think this is a great way to, to, to bring that message in. Um, getting back to you, Eric, I'm sorry. Uh, my ADD kind of kicked in. Uh, no, no, no. Influences, and be, besides Bill Sinkovitz, which I don't believe I'm pronouncing properly, uh, <laughs> what were some of your influences growing up and getting into art? Like, where'd you start this well, journey off? Well, art-wise, as as far as comic goes, I mean, I, I I've always uh, said that the person who really got me excited about comics was Todd McFarlane. He was the one who, for me, uh, when I was young back then, you know, so long ago, uh, Todd McFarlane is what got things excited for me as far as um, getting back into comic books. I mean, it's just the artwork and how he just he just he just blew everything away. Nothing even came close. Um, for me, that is, you know, Todd McFarlane book. I went out there and I bought two or three of them. You know, get, you know, you know, th that was a day where it wasn't so expensive, dollar fifty or so. But, uh, <laughs> but I think that was the plan. It's like here's a foil cover, yeah. and here's an alternate. Yeah, a, yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, there was silver. Then you get one signed. You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There was when it went up from a dollar to a dollar and a quarter. Did, I don't know if you guys remember that. There was a big a dollar and a quarter. What? Oh, this I just posted a, a TikTok video about my favorite era the seven, uh, of Avengers comics, which were the 70s, like the the Jambashima stuff. And um, I'm just looking at the price figure on these comics. And I think we're all three the kind of the same age. And I was just like, damn, buying <laughs> comics in the 70s. I, I, never, I mean, I wasn't there, but into the 80s, just looking at those prices go up. I uh, I got to tell you though, like the 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 book's got to be quality. Yeah, Mark Wade, who I, I'll read anything Mark Wade really writes. Um, he did this Batman versus Robin book where Damian Wayne gets possessed by, I think his grandmother or some dark god or something with the Lazarus Pit, whatever, and he starts by fighting Batman. And Batman has to try and save Damian Wayne, even though the little psychopathic Damian Wayne's trying to kill him. And he and uh, Alfred go off on this little journey into Batman's biggest weakness, which is like the whole magic thing, right? Like Batman's incredibly logical and suddenly he has to delve into this whole Lazarus pit and Rosh al Ghul sort of stuff. It's not his thing. It's a great book. It's $6.99 an issue. 
And I bought it blindly because I it's on my pull list. Mm -hmm. And you get to the counter, and my you know, if you have a pull list, your store gives you 25% off. You're like, okay, cool. And you get a stack of comics. And I just look blindly at like what the weekly comics cost with the 25% discount. It wasn't until I got home and started like kind of flipping through it that I saw the price tag. I was like, holy crap, that's a $6.99 book. I don't think I'm going to keep it on my pull list. And then I read it. And the story was so damn good that I will tell you, it justifies the $6.99 price tag. And that's hard to do. Yeah. Because comics are freaking expensive now. Yeah. But you marked up the price of ours, Eric. That's what we should have done. How much is this? This is like a, this is like $3.99, right? Like $3.99. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty standard for a Dark Horse book. Yeah. Yeah, but ours was, is better than the rest. That's why we should have worked <laughs> up I got to tell you, I enjoy it. I, I like a lot of the stuff that, you know, Dark Horse is a great place to explore, like Image, like any of these indie yeah. comics, you know, labels uh, that have the creator creator own stuff. Like, I love exploring this stuff. I love going in there and being like, okay, well, I recognize a couple of these names from the Marvel DC stuff that gets you in the door, but let me try something else. Let me try something that's not capes, you know? And, uh, I got, you know, I, I'm being a little sheepish too. I'm sorry that I missed this one in the first issue that w- went to print, right? Geekscape is, I think the first two issues are on stands now is as of the recording the of this podcast. One, one okay. The first one's out there. Okay. Yeah. Go out and get this first issue. You probably can still get it. Hopefully your comics are ordered enough numbers, but, um, if not go put in some orders for not only the trade paperback you're going to get, don't know if it's, you know, diamonds done it yet. Or release it, but let's uh let's put in numbers for issues three and four. Yeah, How are you all feeling it, about it this gets, whole it thing? It gets even crazy. I mean, so far, uh, we got a lot of great reviews for the first one, but I'm waiting for pe- people's reaction on the second and third and second and third issue. That's that's where Ooh. we're we're kind of uh seeing because we do a lot of uh, uh you know uh kind of crazy stuff, especially on uh beginning of the third issue, and um, the second issue really got things going. Uh, you you've read the second issue, and so you know where it goes, and so we're, we're hoping for you know we're actually excited to see what people think about this second then third issue. The first one is it's interesting. The first one, when we were doing it, I I kind of said I, I didn't think about the fact that it's going to be one issue, two issue, three issue, four issue. You know, I just thought okay, we're going to do do the whole thing. And so when we did the first issue, I kind of paused and I went. This is nowhere weird enough to let the <laughs> readers know what the hell's coming soon. And so that's one of the reasons why we added a lot of kind of weird jokes in. And it and it really helped us kind of develop the style of the book. It's just let's 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 make it as, as crazy as possible. And that's a little bit of the Marvel method of, you know, Eric drawn and then us lettering together. And I'm like, we gotta make this, we gotta make this a little bit more weird with the with the lettering. Uh, to match what the craziness that's going to come pretty soon over here. But honestly, though, we we also wanted to do more. Uh, uh, man, uh, not not political, but we also wanted to push the jokes too. Uh, and, sure, and not just do uh, you know just you know calm you know but, we, we kind of push push some of these uh, these things that you know um, Scott will throw out some stuff and he will think it's too far. Then I read it, then I'm like, it's pretty funny, so we can make it work. Yeah, I, I'll I'll give Eric like a joke. Just Eric has no Eric has zero fear. Me, I'm scared out of my freaking gourd about every aspect of this book. Well, you're the white guy in this. It's yes. gonna look bad for you, not him. Yes. You Google white It's like you're, you're hanging out with your friends, and it's like, well, you can make that joke. I can't make that joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's it, it, it was always funny. And sometimes I would put something that I knew we could never in a million years use just to test how far Eric would go. He never had a problem with a joke. And I'm like, Eric, you're psychopath. We cannot put this, this, these specific things in there. We can't even say what they are right now or any time when there's a camera on or, uh, or we'll probably go to prison. Get canceled. You get canceled. Uh, <laughs> I went right to prison. I skipped canceled. Oh, you skipped canceled. I went right is, uh, what, what Scott's talking about and Eric are talking about is that Marvel method. And supposedly back in the day, uh, Stan Lee would kind of generally describe the book. He'd let the artists go and do the the plotting, the design, the page work, and kind of economize the book on the page turns and everything, get the 22 pages in there, and then go back. After seeing how the artwork was laid out, loosely based on a loose script, the artwork's now in place. Stan would then go in and add the word balloons and really 
kind of fine tune the story based on the art and that's called the marvel method and it, i think it was done for expediency more than anything so that the artist could just get started just start here's the framework of the story here's what needs to be accomplished loosely per page blah, blah, blah. go knock yourself out you're the expert you're the artist and of course he's working with people like steve ditko and jack kirby and uh you know romita senior so mm -hmm. he's he's in good hands stan would then go back and add the personality the, the words i think that's a great method i and i think at this point leaving again you don't want to tell scorsese where to put the camera um this was not a, a screenplay to begin with is that right scott it was always we, a comic book we 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 wrote it in as we wrote it as a uh we, we kind of did a very basic screenplay style of writing it so we, we, we and I think I think people still do that. I think my Brian Michael Bendis writes in Final Draft. I think there are a lot yeah. of comic book creators who write in screenplay software and don't break things into panels and captions. Which, having written comics, I find it like I don't like writing comics because I have to economize too much on the page and put things in panels and captions. It slows down that flow yeah. that you were talking about earlier with the with the screenwriting. Yeah, and 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 for in my case the artist is going to know much more than I do about any of that stuff. And, and Eric just wanted to like draw whatever the hell he wanted. He's like, I don't need panels. You just tell me the story and watch me do the panels. I'm going to break these damn panels. That's what, what Eric uh, would say. Yeah. I, I find it much more uh, just, just freedom just to figure it out myself, figure out where I'm going to break these scenes up and, uh, and, and make it work from there. I mean, it is, I mean, a lot of times as a, you know, when you're working for like Marvel DC, yes, you have to work off strictly off the script and, and you, and for me, I've always had that where I want to represent the writer as best as I can. So I would very much stick to a script, but with working with Scott and because he's, this is his first um, uh, book into that, that's going to be published. Um, he, he was just like open to, to have me do is do whatever I thought was, was visually correct and and that was for me one of the better parts of working doing creator own work because a lot of times you, it, you don't want to get stuck on a scene or on a panel because you have to draw something so specific uh with us um uh we already knew where we we're gonna go and i just made the pages come together a little bit easier then scott just poured all over lettering all over the place and uh and the guy who had the, the hardest job, I think, is the letterer. That, that's who had the hardest job working on our book. Okay, so to explain that, the reason the letterer had the hardest job was because he had to deal with me. And uh, uh, so Eric would, this is what's really funny about me and Eric. Eric would draw like a page. Here, here, you know what? If you can scroll a couple pages, I'll show you what I mean. I'll tell you when. I think the next, not this, oh, wait, wait. Okay, yeah, go back, go back. To when he's riding the bike one more i think yeah so over here um eric's looking at the the fruit in this stand and he's like scott what do you think of these these apples and these oranges and i'm like eric i don't give a shit about your apples and oranges. <laughs> you're bothering me with give me some swords give me some violence and so eric's so detailed about that and me i was the same way about the way the words we're on the page. Yeah, they've got a flow well, for that timing of the of the jokes. Yeah, yeah I but, mean that's all you have is the the order of the the but, page but the to sell was, the timing of a joke. But the letterer was great. The the letter I, I want to say the letter was like the best in the world. But me, I, I was so ridiculously uh, <laughs> picky. Like what his most of his stuff is is there on the page, but I just sure. wanted to experiment with things which you should never ever do. Um, uh, for your poor letterer. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to experiment with things. And for me, a lot of the times were, was, do I bold this word or do I bold this word? And it's really hard to tell until you see it on the page. Sure. Like most of my notes were bold this word, bold that word, because I didn't think to make them beforehand. And it was my first time, you know, working with the letterer and everything. And so I definitely, uh, I definitely drove him a little nuts and I, I definitely owe him a lot of beers and, and maybe a therapist for having to work uh, with, with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's hard to, to make a funny comic escapist with, I mean, you can obviously make like visuals, but books like Deadpool, early Spider-Man, stuff like that, that where these characters are supposed to be funny. It's hard to do. You can always do the visual gags. Sure. Uh, but the visual gags also 
rely on the same timing dependent on dialogue, dependent on uh, setup and payoff. Uh, sure, you can use page turn this and that, but it it does the rhythm gets the rhythm can can get old if you're going back to the same kind of well. And so I really applaud these first two issues that I've read of White Savior because I laughed. I laughed. And when and, and there's nothing scarier than someone asking you to read their comic book and be like, I think you'll like it. It's funny. And you're like, oh, boy, do I hope it is. And thank goodness. I had a huge sigh of relief. And I emailed you guys. And I said, hey, I've read the issues. I think this book's great. I have no problem putting my stamp of approval on it. I loved it. Um, <laughs> would you guys co- like, would you collaborate on another book? I mean, clearly, right? Like, there's going to be a White Savior 2. <laughs> Oh, we have a we have a lot of plans. Uh, we're actually uh, doing some pitches. Um, we're hoping to do some, uh, like you said, maybe a, a, a Deadpool. Uh, we're doing pitches, throwing it out there uh, to Marvel, and uh, hopefully they'll they'll read it and they'll just give us the green light and just let us do whatever. But uh, I think that would be a fantastic book. Uh, we already have an issue already written as far as script goes. So funny for a Deadpool book. For a Deadpool book. They just gotta buy it, right? Yep, they just or, have to, well, they gotta read it, which is yeah, a they <laughs> story. They gotta see it and read it, and I could understand them not wanting to or wanting to work. Don't say that. No, don't say that. I we've got to. I'm, 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 uh, I'm Scott, you're like me, and uh, oh. tell me if your if your wife does this, Scott. Uh, Heidi does this, where she's like, where where I when I do that and I start doing like the the doom saying, I'm like, no, it'll never happen. Hey, Heidi goes, Jonathan manifested. <laughs> not manifesting. She goes, try manifesting it. And then she gets into this whole kumbaya thing about like, picture it happening. What does it look like? What does it smell like? And it, to me, it just sounds like Nyla, like delusion. <laughs> it sounds I, like. I, well, to be fair, I'm, I'm with me and my wife. It's the opposite. Really? Uh, she's <laughs> a pessimist. And, and I'm the, this is going to be the biggest book in the history of the world. No, everybody's gonna read it. And, I just call it being a realist. I mean, I'm and, not like Charlie Brown kicking a can down yeah, the street, said, but it's like I'm definitely the Kevin James in the relationship with <laughs> my wife, where she's the intelligent, reasonable person, and I am the you know crazy sitcom loon husband. So, uh, <laughs> but in but in the case of this, uh, you just you just never know um, what what is gonna go on with all these people. Um, I just know that when Eric and I put on a book, it's going to be the best damn book in the history of creation itself. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Bible sure. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Bible part two is what we're working on next. <laughs> well, I mean, Dark Horse has a lot of deals where they license things. Like uh, I just saw an announcement photo of Umbrella Academy number four, the fourth season starting production or finishing yeah. production. Uh, any rumblings? Uh, Regarding White Savior, about I know I know it's only been one issue. Not Maybe just the any. We, be... we do have a few. Yeah, yeah. We we actually have uh, a few people excited. I mean, really excited. They they. Uh, I mean, Scott, you 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 can take Matt over. Damon. <laughs> you know, we we never know what. <laughs> Matt Damon's like, let me take another stab at this. Tom we, we don't have. Oh, you know. Yeah, we never know what like we can or can't say or who we should say. We're, we're sure we were. We're trying to uh, gauge uh, with these with the people we're talking to. We can say it's mostly um, um, Asian American, um, prominent Asian American um, entertainment people. Um, no white people have reached out, oddly enough, but we've, we've gotten a really good amount of um, people in the Asian American entertainment community, and so we're 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 talking to people. We're we're a little shocked that we're talking to. And so we're hoping to, to get some some big news um, soon about it. Who, who knows? But yeah, I think that's good. I mean, clearly that needs to be. It, it can't come from outside the community. I believe. I think it has yeah, to have totally. some level of involvement at the top from the Asian community to put something like this out. Otherwise, it feels like I know it's parody, being, but it feels like the wrong kind of parody. That being said, Tom Cruise, Matt Damon. Our phone lines are open if you want to call us. Um, I'll, I'll maybe take a couple minutes off work to answer the call. But I, I wonder if the Geekscapers have heard my Matt Damon story. But when I first moved to Hollywood, I met Ben and Matt. They were in charge of, remember Project Greenlight? That was their thing where it was like, hey, we'll get some filmmakers. 
movie or something. They made a Shia LaBeouf movie, but what they also did was they sponsored one of those Coca-Cola filmmaker student filmmaker competitions, and I was still in grad school, and I was one of ten finalists wow. for to become one of those people that you see before your movie when you just want your movie to start, and then suddenly some film student pops up and is like, "This is my student film," and you're like, "No, <laughs> you just want you just want your movie to start," and some kid pops up and goes, "Watch my." coca-cola or sprite ad that i made about somebody going to the movie theater so that was me and my friend brett levner who's on the show a few months ago her her film played but ben and matt in project greenlight were a part of that coca-cola initiative with the year that brett levner former geekscape guest uh and i were a part of it and so they held a get together in like an announcement for all of us at the Roosevelt here in Hollywood. And they brought us over to the Roosevelt. We hang out in this green room and like a, like a, it was really a convention room. It was like, you know, a, a meeting room and income Ben and Matt. And it was awesome. And they hung out and they talked to us about filmmaking and it was like an hour. And then they marched everybody across the street uh, to Hollywood and Highland for a party I didn't see them at the party. Um, and they announced the winner of Project Greenlight, the, the HBO show or, or Showtime or whatever it was on. Um, but for that hour, hanging out with Ben and Matt, I, I found them to be great. They were super <laughs> cool dudes. And, and you know they're big film fans. And you know Matt, uh, Ben's a fantastic director and they're clearly good writers. So I got nothing but props for those dudes. Um, and you know what? You're going to make a great wall now and then. <laughs> 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 that stuff just... You know what? They can't all be winner you know what i mean you you make you know there's so many variables hey, that look, go into being uh, creative first there was Dare, daredevil and then there's batman yeah. right sometimes it's just gonna happen <laughs> folks like and I, I i try to explain you know i was in a meeting just before we started geekscape and we were talking you know and you just try and be careful at every decision and everything and and then after the meeting i was texting with the artist for this video about the edit and i said hey like Let's let's let the editor run with it a little bit before we come in and start telling what the edit should be because we we'd immediately eliminate what the editor will do in case there's any. It's like you don't want you. I want the editor to run with the first cut in case they have any ideas that me coming in guns blazing and being like this goes there, that goes that, this goes there. Stick to the outline. That eliminates any kind of creative mm-hmm. awesomeness that they could bring to the project, and not not unlike hand-holding in a script and then handing it to Eric, you don't want to do that. You want Eric to kind of throw his Eric-ness into it and then come back and Marvel method the thing after Eric is, you know, that's truly the back and forth tennis match that I believe awesome collaborations are born from. And as you make films that involve a lot more people, man, anything, (laughs) any of those can spring a leak. You know what I mean? A lot of decisions. I, I think that's why comics are becoming a pretty pure testing ground for a lot of these bigger narratives that end up on screen or end up in video games or where there's a lot more people involved because it, you can keep them fairly pure. You can keep the collaborations down to a place where the purest form of that story makes it to the audience, right? Like it's you and Eric, the letter, a couple other collaborators, the publisher, Geekscape is go buy this white savior on the stands right now. Get all four issues when they come out, ask your comic store to order them because this is, Scott and Eric, right? <laughs> Anything? I mean, there's nothing that really popped out that you were like, "Oh, damn, gotta pull that one off." Maybe next time, <laughs> right? That's the beauty of comics. It's you know, like I was this, thinking about something. Uh, so your brother is is Paul London, the wrestler. Did you grow up a, a wrestling fan? I did not. I grew up a victim of his wrestling fandom. <laughs> I grew okay. up a te- I, I grew up a crash test dummy for the most. I, I was a I was a human uh, landing mat is what I grew up. No, uh, yeah, no. Paul and my my late older brother and I we we were always roughhousing. Um, Paul took it to an extreme. <laughs> I love Paul. Paul's in this music video I'm doing. I, I get to watch Paul in a monster costume on Friday. Do a rehearsal. It'll be fun. One of the reasons I bring it up is because in our book, a lot of the characters are named after wrestlers. And, and some of the people yeah. kind of picked up on that. Uh, Japanese wrestlers, they're named off of. And Paul so I, would know them. I'm not a wrestling fan. Okay. Mainly that, because it's too close to home. I but my brother you, would yeah. pick that up. And a lot of the Geekscapes would pick it up, right? But Probably, yeah. Like, everybody yeah. who's read it, I think, who's a, 
a wrestling fan had a, knew kind of right off the bat, they'd be like, wait, all these names. That's fantastic. I like that. We didn't realize people would, would, would know that when we wrote it. We're just bad at coming up with names. <laughs> I think comics and wrestling, there's a lot of overlap in these fans. Oh, yeah. And clearly the, the, the soap opera-like nature of comics and wrestling, they, they're not that different. I think they're all fun. It's, it's larger than life narratives, larger than life characters. I can definitely see why comic book fans and wrestling fans have such a strong overlap. I think it's super cool that you put that in the book. Um, I should get Paul to these issues and, and uh, Geekscape is if there's a wrestling fan in your life, get them white savior. It might be their introduction to comics. Really. If you want to get them into comics, white savior might not be a bad one to do. The thing with comic books is a lot of people hear comic books and they do think about the, 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 the tights and the capes and they're like, Oh, superheroes, not for me. I, I like the movies fine, but I don't even know if I want to get into comics. And now ah, where would I start? It's got 50 years of, storylines and ah, I don't know where to jump in. It's too much. White Savior is a great introduction. Just like I said in my opening, Dark Horse Comics, places like Image, clearly you know about The Walking Dead, you know about a lot of these, you know, more, you're watching Last of Us. I know that's a video game, but not unlike any of these introductions to genre storytelling. These are great jumping on points. Like if you have anybody in your life who enjoys, you know, Feudal Japan stories or comedies or Fish Out of Water kind of stuff, I think White Savior is a, a great introduction, gateway drug into the world of comics. Especially, yeah, we got to get you on. Into we got to get you on every show with us. And, and <laughs> talk to guys, I love people. when we comics. Say we have the same. Uh, no, I love comics, guys. Like, trust me. Like, some people over the summer, Matt Kelly and Derek, we we were putting together the Geekscape booth, and they finally convinced me to do a, a TikTok. So I make a TikTok, and I don't know what TikToks are supposed to be. I'm 44 years old. <laughs> TikToks are for the younger kids. You know, what is the TikTok? You're supposed to, like, do a dance challenge or the TikTok <laughs> this, put on a funny filter. Nah, man, I ain't about the TikTok. And I think to myself, what can I put on the TikTok that is, con- like, in like me? What is my thing? And I love comics. Comics are, the to me, my favorite, nar- you know, even though as a filmmaker, I think comics are my favorite medium because that purity that we talked about it, it is as close to the writer and the artist and then the finished product. It has the least amount of steps, the least amount of chances for an interpretive problem. And in the comic is usually what is intended by the storytellers. It's very pure. That's why I love it. So you go on my TikTok, and that's all I talk about. <laughs> that's why I have like three subscribers or something. <laughs> but the Geekscape TikTok is all comics for the most part. I love it. And I'll put some old clips from the show up there in interviews and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's all comics all the time. It is my favorite medium. And I think that this one, White Savior, y'all have done a great job with it. It's Thanks. a great, great, great uh, gateway drug to storytelling. And I don't think it, you have to be Asian. I don't think you have to be a comedy fan. I don't think you have to be anybody but somebody who enjoys a fun story to be into it. Have I sold hard enough for you guys? I don't know. We'll find <laughs> out when those issue three and four orders come in. Uh, what's next? That's the that's the million right, dollar right, question. Yeah. Right now, we're really pushing to try to get the uh, outreach out there. Uh, we're throwing some pitches over at Marvel. We're going to throw some pitches over at the other side. We'll see where it goes. The Distinguished uh, Competition... Yeah, but but okay. I, I, I'm really hoping for that Deadpool. That Deadpool, we're, we're made for Deadpool. Okay, we we I, and I agree. Having read this comic, I agree because again, it's very. There are times that Deadpool has not, in my opinion, not been as funny as it's supposed to be. Uh, and I think Deadpool and like She Hulk and those books, like those have to be funny books mm-hmm. because those are humor is a part of the character. Thinking back as what got you into the game, your love of comics, your love of genre storytelling. Uh, and w- we can wrap on this. What character? I'll start with Eric. We'll talk to Scott. What character? Your dream of dreams. What character? It doesn't have to be comics. It can be a Star Wars, isn't that? What? What? What character? What franchise would you guys love to create and be involved in? Man. Okay, uh, Eric. It sounds like you're having a tough time. Let's give. Yeah, us a you know, because <laughs> you know, as a creator, you go through all sorts of uh, ideas every day. Uh, I want to do an alien book. I want to do a sci-fi book. I want to do some other, I, you know, just finish that comedy. Uh, I have my eyes set on something that we kind of started, um, but that's more on my side, I guess, right? Um, called Red Rain, which is an a alien 
book that I'm trying to do slowly, trying trying to develop, and uh, already did a cover for it that you know people people seem to like. Uh, you know, so for me, I, you know, come up with all sorts of stuff. You know, man, I, there's not one certain thing that I want to do. I want to do sure. a lot of things. <laughs> but if I was to ask you, the a property you don't own. Like something at the Distinguished Competition DC or something over at Marvel or something over at like, you know, I don't know, the Disney book. I don't know. Anything that you don't own, a Star Trek book, uh, Legend of Zelda, whatever. What were some of the properties? What are some of the characters that you'd be like, man, I'd love to get a crack at the bat on that thing? Man, hard to it say. It could be a video game oh, property. Here okay, here's what I, that I, I draw a lot that I, I didn't really realize I drew a lot. Robin. I do like the Damien Robin. Uh, I, I think he can go so many different pa uh, places uh, with and, and how he can be gritty as well. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've always liked drawing that young sort of uh, uh, boyish Damian Wayne. Yeah. yeah. I agree. And, that, and I guess James Gunn agrees as well, because that's the Damian Wayne we're going to get in the next screen iteration of Batman when we get the Brave and the Bold film from DC Studios. You know, that was part of that big James Gunn announcement when he announced the slate wow. for the, the DC film and TV going forward. Like, the brave and the bold is Bruce and Damien, which is going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Scott, you don't own the, you don't have the keys, you don't own the rights, <laughs> but know, if somebody gives you the keys, what would you like to drive? I'm going to be diplomatic and I'm going to say I like Marvel and DC equally. Sure. Unless one of them hires me, in which case I will 100%. <laughs> Um, like that one much more, but uh, Marvel Spider-Man has always been my my favorite character. I'm a little, I would be a little nervous about doing Spider-Man. I'd be terrified. Our great responsibility thing, but I'd be not only would I be terrified, but supposedly Kevin Smith, when he got Daredevil, was like had had trouble with delivering the scripts because he also had that sort of uh, yeah fear of failing the character that you loved yeah yeah and then for for dc because i'm diplomatic here sure uh there's a very little known character called the heckler uh wow. yeah and i think uh and i may or may not have already written this um <laughs> uh yeah so free weekend you wrote a couple heckler scripts you know this was years <laughs> this was years ago okay um years ago uh and so i think that that uh that is is the DC dream book is is Heckler, um, so uh, Eric and I are ready to, to make that happen. So, will it into the world? Yes. Yeah. Well, there's some wheels flying past my window here as we record. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you didn't. Geekscape us. Uh, and you know what? If you want to see that Heckler book, the best way to do it is get the sales up on the book they have on shelves right now. White Savior. Um, Geekscape us. Add it to your pull list over at your comic store, or you know have the have the issues ordered tell your comic book store i want i want to read this white savior thing especially if it gets collected in a trade paperback you and i want to pick it up and i'm guessing the trade will be out in time for christmas or maybe san diego comic-con this summer uh any chance of that happening having a trade out by san diego comic -Con? in september okay right eric i think so i think they're they're uh they're having it uh i think yeah you're right something around september okay so Geekscape is tell your comic book store to keep an eye out for that one. Uh, and maybe we'll see both of you all at the Geekscape booth at San Diego Comic-Con this summer. Maybe. maybe. So you're setting up a, a booth there. It's... We've had a booth for 11, 12 years. Y'all can come and sign. And in that, uh, that, that sci-fi project you were talking about, Eric, you can sign some of those prints. Oh, get them well, out of the audience. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, um, we definitely have to try to make way now that the convention circuit's back open now. You know, uh, people are actually coming back to conventions, it seems. Uh, I did it's been fun. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. I, I did a couple up here in North Cal and like Stockton, uh, the Stockton Con. Surprisingly, it's been filled and uh, people are coming back. Eric, I went to Pasadena Comic Con. I didn't think twice about Pasadena Comic Con. I went there last Sunday. It was a great booming con. I had so nice. much fun. I couldn't believe that these small, and, and I talked about it with my friend Craig Rasmus and the guest of last week's show. Some of these smaller cons are where you can walk up to the creators yeah. you love, meet them, have a little bit of FaceTime with them when you're not fighting through crowds at San Diego to get to them. Yeah. Uh, don't sleep on the local cons, folks. You're, it, they're a lot of fun. In worst case scenario, you can walk away with a bunch of $2 Avengers books from the <laughs> 70s like I did. Uh, they're a little beat up. 
the coupons have all been cut out long ago, but they're there. <laughs> yeah, that was my discovery. I turned a page and half of it's gone because some <laughs> somebody would mail in for you know Planet of the Apes masks or something, and I was like, oh Jesus, great. Uh, well. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Again, the book is called White Savior, out now from Dark Horse Comics. Tell your local comic shop you want to pick it up. And you all are welcome on the show anytime. I can't wait to see what's next for you guys. Hey, thank you for having us. Thank you. Geekscape is, you know what's next for us. Our good friend Casper Van Dien is going to come on the show. So you want to hit that subscribe button. And after that, I'll go ahead and put this Homer Bound thing up with this uh, panel. It was a really great panel. It's a fun movie. I'd never seen it before. So you could hear me fake my way through a panel having not seen the film, but being fairly familiar with the people who made the film and it's a panel. They should be doing most of the talking anyway. Uh, if you want to hear more talking from me though, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp comes out with their third film, Quantumania. You got King the Conqueror coming on the big screen, uh, messing things up for the Marvel Universe and Ian and I are going to talk about it on a brand new Geekscape. So please share Geekscape with your friends. Hit that subscribe button. Leave a nice five-star review. Uh, say some cool words. And then um, be here next week. That's about it. All right, Geekscapists. Don't hate create. Over and out. Go buy White Savior from your local combo shop. Peace. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.